Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. Each year, over 1 million seizure-related visits occur in EDs. And while benzodiazepines are the preferred first-line treatment for status epilepticus, they're not always effective. Second-line antiepileptics like phosphenitoin, levetiracetam, valproate, and phenobarbital are utilized for urgent control, but guidelines do not specify which is preferred. The recent ESET trial provides some clarification, but questions remain on how to incorporate this evidence into everyday practice. Today, one of Mayo Clinic's ED pharmacists, Dr. Kellen Engstrom, hits the reset button on antiepileptic drugs for status epilepticus. Historically, when we think about status epilepticus, it has not always been defined as a neurological emergency. Only recently, in the past couple of decades, has our understanding of status epilepticus really evolved and are leading to reclassification of status epilepticus as a true neurologic emergency. With this paradigm shift in our definition, of status epilepticus, many different treatments have been proposed. With that being said, because of these recent shifts, many gaps still remain as to how to optimally treat this neurological emergency. Today, I wanna discuss current guideline recommendations and gaps that exist for the treatment of status epilepticus. Recent evidence regarding conventional anti-epileptic utilization has been published, and I wanna discuss some of the considerations that need to be taken into account in applying this new evidence into clinical practice. The current definition of status epilepticus is a continuous clinical or electrographic seizure lasting five minutes or two or more discrete seizures between which there's incomplete recovery of consciousness. Historically, the definition of status epilepticus required patients to be seizing for at least 30 minutes before being considered in true status. With recent changes in our understanding of pathophysiology and the complications of status epilepticus, this definition has recently been redefined. In evaluating the epidemiology and impact of status epilepticus, annually over 200,000 patients have a seizure episode that is classified as status epilepticus in the United States. Each year, over 1 million seizure-related visits are managed in the ED in the U.S. alone. Status epilepticus has a significant bimodal age distribution. Individuals who are in their first decade of life, over 60 years of age, are at a significantly increased risk for development of seizures in status epilepticus. This is due to the various risk factors that have been attributed to presentation of status epilepticus. In our elderly patients, um, they may be at more of a risk due to increased incidence of cerebrovascular accident, tumors and metastases, metabolic derangements, or potential traumas as well. In our pediatric populations, they may have pediatric epilepsy or be at increased risk due to CNS infection, um, likely caused by meningitis. Across the board in all age groups, subtherapeutic anti-epileptic drug levels in patients with a history of seizures are the most common cause of status epilepticus today. In evaluating the outcomes of status epilepticus, there's significant work that still needs to be done. 30-day mortality for status is estimated at 10 to 27%. Fortunately, with our recent paradigm shift and improvements in treatment, mortality rates have been trending down. 
That being said, indirect systemic problems can arise from patients who are in a prolonged convulsive state. They may experience impaired ventilation, pulmonary aspiration, and significant metabolic derangements requiring ICU level of care. Additionally, direct neuronal cell cellular injury can result from neuronal loss and cell death, leading to permanent neurological impairment. The pathophysiology of status epilepticus is important to consider when we think about the agents that are generally used to treat status. In early status, as we see here, the GABA receptors seen in blue uh, predominate on the neuronal cell surface. NMDA receptors seen here in red are located internally. As status progresses, we see these receptors change. Our GABA receptors are internalized, while our NMDA receptors become more expressed on the neuronal cell surface. And this really feeds into how we treat status epilepticus utilizing the current treatment algorithm. In emergent early status, we rely on our benzodiazepines to act on those GABA receptors at the cellular surface. Midazolam, lorazepam, and diazepam are used for emergent control of seizure activity. Urgent control therapy is utilized after benzodiazepines have been optimized to work on mostly on voltage-gated sodium channels to slow action potentials and overall excitability. Phosphonytoin, valproate, levetiracetam, and phenobarbital are all options for urgent control therapy. If these agents have failed, patients are considered to be in refractory status epilepticus. Many different medications have been studied for refractory status, including propofol, ketamine, midazolam, pentobarbital, and inhaled anesthetics. Ketamine specifically, when we think about that receptor pathophysiology, might play an important role due to its action at NMDA receptors as an antagonist to help prevent some of that excitatory input. There's a lot of different information and evidence regarding these various steps in our treatment algorithm, but today I really want to focus on urgent control therapy. There's been recent evidence and debate over which, which agents may be the most optimal for urgent control. Urgent control therapy is defined as the administration of an antiepileptic drug following the use of benzodiazepines. There are two potential purposes for antiepileptic drug, drug therapy administration. The first would be to attain cessation of seizure activity if we were not able to do so with our doses of benzodiazepines. The second potential utility is to prevent recurrent seizures in patients who had success and cessation of seizures with benzodiazepine administration to really get the preventive therapy on board right away. I want to take a minute to note what's considered adequate benzodiazepine dosing in status. Lorazepam 4 milligrams or midazolam 10 milligrams IM or administered IM or nasally are generally our standards of care. Diazepam can be given, most often in pediatric patients, through the rectal, rectal administration prior to hospital arrival. If we do not see cessation of seizure activity with one dose of these benzodiazepines, we can repeat a dose after five minutes. If that does not work, or to, pre to get preventive therapy on board, we then add an urgent control agent. Currently, the neurocritical care guidelines recommend use of either phosphenytoin, valproate, levetiracetam, or phenobarbital in urgent control therapy. I want to make note of the fact that the current guidelines do not recommend one agent over the other. There's not sufficient evidence regarding efficacy and safety to really say that one is preferable to another. Instead, there are many different considerations to take into account from a pharmacy perspective when choosing an antiepileptic drug. 
Side effect profiles can vary between agents and is something we always want to take into account when considering choice of antiepileptic. Infusion rates and ease of administration are important as we always want to get these medications to patients quickly. A route is also important to consider as whatever stops a patient seizure is likely what they'll go home on. So if an oral route is available, it may be something to consider. Drug interactions, availability and necessity for therapeutic drug monitoring, and teratogenicity are additional factors that we may take into account initially. I want to go through a few of the considerations for each of the four recommended urgent control therapy options per the guidelines. I'll start today with phosphenitoin or enfenitoin. Phosphenitoin is a prodrug of phenytoin. It is more water-soluble and associated with significantly less uh, side effects when it administered. It's generally what we use um, in status epilepticus um, as a loading dose. We dose it at 20 phosphenitoin equivalents per kilogram, and there's no dose cap currently included in dosing recommendations. It can be administered at a rate of 150 phenytoin equivalents per minute, IV, and is associated with significant adverse effects including hypotension and cardiac arrhythmias. Here at Mayo, with administration of phosphenitoin, cardiac monitoring is required during infusion and for 20 minutes afterwards. We also need to consider that it has a very narrow therapeutic window requiring therapeutic drug monitoring, made even trickier by the fact that it is highly protein-bound and renally eliminated. Overall, we still use phosphenitoin as it is one of our original agents, and there's much familiarity with dosing and its use in status. Second, I want to discuss valproate. It's dosed at 40 milligrams per kilogram and can be administered at a rate of up to 10 milligrams per kilogram per minute IV. In the short term, there aren't many adverse effects that I would consider. Um, however, in the long term, uh, hepatotoxicity, thrombocytopenia, um, and hyperammonemic encephalopathy can occur. Teratogenicity would be the big factor to consider in our younger female patients when we're initially administering this drug in an emergency setting. It does have significant drug interactions um, as it is a CYP450 inhibitor and overall has a wide therapeutic window compared to some of our other agents. Our third option is levetiracetam or Keppra, as I'll refer to it from here on out. The dosing that is recommended per current guidelines is 20 to 40 milligrams per kilogram given IV. It can be given as an IV push or an IV piggyback over 5 to 15 minutes. For large doses here, we generally give it as an IV piggyback over 15 minutes. In the short term, there aren't significant adverse effects associated with it, but we can see some irritability and mental status changes in neutropenia with use. It does not undergo significant CYP450 metabolism, therefore it has minimal drug interactions, and it has a wide therapeutic window with <coughs> available therapeutic drug monitoring. The fourth option that our guidelines recommend is phenobarbital. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this medication, as it generally has fallen out of favor in clinical practice due to its significant adverse effects. It's been associated with prolonged sedation and respiratory depression, requiring potential intubation. It also has hypotension and bradycardia associated with infusion. It must be administered slowly and often requires an ICU level of care. Therefore, it really has fallen out of favor compared to some of our other agents. And with that, and in the context of this discussion, I want to introduce a patient, PH. She's a 36-year-old female who presents to the ED with convulsive seizure activity, reported to have started around 15 minutes ago. She has a history of traumatic brain injury and is not currently on any home medications. EMS did administer one dose of lorazepam 4 milligrams IV, and on arrival she was given a repeat dose which does not stop her seizure. Given the information that you just heard, 
What guideline approved anti-epileptic agent would you use for urgent control therapy and pH? And I think I personally would agree um, with the majority here. I would probably consider starting Keppra in this patient um, just because with Valproate, you might be a little bit more concerned with her younger age as a young female and with the teratogenicity. Um, Phosphonitone would also be reasonable. Um, phenobarbital, I, don't, I wouldn't give just because of the adverse effects profile. With that being said, per our current guidelines, any of these would be appropriate. So there remains a lot of question as to which agent may actually provide the best efficacy for patients who are in status. And because of this, in 2019, a randomized controlled trial, ESET, was published that evaluated anti-epileptic drug therapy for urgent control in patients who were unresponsive to treatment with benzodiazepines. Patients were included if they were two years and older, so we see a good mix of patients who are pediatric and adults. Patients had to have a generalized convulsive seizure lasting more than five minutes, with continued convulsions five minutes after their last dose of benzodiazepine. Uh, they defined an acceptable, minimally acceptable dose of benzodiazepine as one standard dose of midazolam, lorazepam, or diazepam. For patients who were 32 kilograms or less, they used weight-based dosing. Patients were excluded if their seizure was due to major trauma, hypoglycemia, hyperglycemia, or cardiac arrest, and were also excluded if they had received other agents besides benzodiazepines prior to study enrollment. ESET had three different intervention arms. They evaluated phosphonatoin, valproate, and Keppra, arguably our th three most utilized antiepileptic drugs for urgent control therapy. They utilized standard dosing of phosphonatoin and valproate, but utilized a higher dose of Keppra than is currently recommended um, by the guidelines and had pr previously been utilized in practice. I want to note that they dose capped all medications at a weight of 75 kilograms, as we can see here which led to administration of all medications over 10 minutes and a similar drug volume um, to really help with blinding in this trial. The primary outcome at, in ESET was the absence of clinically apparent seizures and improving responsiveness at 60 minutes without additional anti-epileptic drug therapy. Secondary outcomes included time to termination of seizures, the need for ICU admission, and ICU and hospital length of stay. Safety outcomes that were evaluated included hypotension or cardiac arrhythmia, within 60 minutes of drug administration, the need for intubation, and acute seizure recurrence one to 12 hours after medication administration. Before I dive into the results, I wanna take a minute to discuss what the patients in the ESET looked like. Um, the mean age for these patients was around 33 years of age. Unfortunately, they did not break down uh, results or data by pediatric and adult populations. The majority of patients were male, had a history of epilepsy, and were eventually dosed with status epilepticus upon discharge. I wanna take a minute to note that the median lorazepam dose given to these patients um, prior to anti-epileptic administration was around five milligrams, which if we're considering the fact that two doses of lorazepam is our standard of care for patients who are still seizing, many of them likely did not receive a repeat dose. Additionally, the duration of seizure at enrollment was a median of 60 minutes. So by the time that these patients were actually enrolled in the study, they had been seizing for 60 minutes and many of them had not received a second dose of benzodiazepines. In evaluating our results, there was no significant, significant difference noted in the incidence of seizure cessation at 60 minutes between our three anti-epileptic agents. Overall, we saw low rates of success with less than 50% of patients having cessation of seizures at that 60 minute mark. 
Interestingly, in evaluating the secondary outcome, there was a trend for faster onset of and seizure cessation with valproate as compared to our other agents. This difference was not found to be statistically significant. And in the context of a long primary outcome of 60 minutes, it's unclear how much that four minute difference could have an effect. However, when we really think about our definition of status epilepticus as seizure activity lasting five minutes, a four minute difference could be a potential difference were found to be significant um, and a factor to consider in utilizing valproate over the others. In evaluating additional secondary outcomes, there was no significant difference in the need for ICU admission. Around 59% of patients overall required admission to an ICU. There additionally was no difference in ICU or hospital length of stay between the three antiepileptic agents. Safety outcomes found no significant difference between the three agents. We can see here that there was a trend towards significant with increased need for intubation and acute respiratory depression with phosphenitoin. Phosphenitoin also showed an increased incidence of life-threatening hypotension, which is not unsurprising given what we know about its side effect profile. Again, overall, we found no significant difference among the three different agents. And so in really evaluating the trial as a whole, there are many different strengths and limitations of this study. It did include both children and adults, so it's applicable to a broad patient population. Unfortunately, we didn't have a breakdown of pediatric versus adult patients, however. The chosen safety outcomes were appropriate and fit very well with the side effects that are known from a lot of these anti-epileptic agents. Additionally, um, despite the fact that it took 60 minutes for enrollment, this is fairly quick for many randomized controlled trials and was well-designed and well-coordinated to ensure prompt enrollment in this study. With that being said, there are many limitations of ESET itself. Overall, we see a difference in the relative dosing of anti-epileptic drugs based on current guideline recommendations. The standard dosing regimen for valproate and phosphenitoin was used, but the dose of Keppra was increased. Additionally, an arbitrary dose cap was instituted at a weight of 75 kilograms. I think most of us would not necessarily consider 75 kilograms to be a particularly obese or overweight patient, so it's an interesting marker to consider dose capping for these patients. Additionally, benzodiazepine inclusion criteria did not necess necessitate an, a repeat benzodiazepine dose, and based on our baseline characteristics, many patients likely did not receive a repeat dose. Over 50% of cases were unblinded to the treatment team. And finally, the primary outcome used was a lengthy time frame with cessation of seizures at 60 minutes. When we really think about it in the context of enrollment, these patients were seizing for 60 minutes by the time they were given an anti-epileptic drug, and this efficacy was not assessed until 60 minutes later. So by that point, they had potentially been seizing for two hours and not adequately treated. At this point, many of these patients would be considered to be in refractory status epilepticus and not necessarily someone who we would consider continue urgent control therapy in. I think there are a lot of unanswered questions from ESET. We still don't know which anti-epileptic drug provides the best chance of success with urgent control therapy. Um, the efficacy results show, again, that there's similar efficacy between the agents. Um, there are significant questions about whether the study dose cap was appropriate and if we could potentially be underdosing our obese patients. Many of the dosing strategies utilized in ESET were not necessarily standards of care, so there's a question about whether or not we should be adjusting to meet the interventions that were done in this trial. I think specifically with Keppra, we saw an increased dose of 60 milligrams per kilogram, and it was found to be safe but not necessarily effective compared to our other agents. 
So have we really reached the dose ceiling of Keppra? And do we have room to go up on the dose to increase its potential efficacy? And a final question um, that has really come up as we've tried to implement this into practice is how we can administer these higher doses of Keppra quickly. I wanna take a minute to note how we would potentially do that here. And with our larger doses required, um, there's been a lot of question about the safest and fastest way to do so. Keppra can be given IV push if diluted one-to-one -one with normal saline. This generally is only feasible for smaller doses due to the volume required. In a pediatric population, I think this would definitely be reasonable. There are some small studies looking at undiluted use of Keppra as well. However, they're limited to very small doses of 1,000 to 1,500 milligrams. IV piggyback is definitely a reasonable option for large doses and generally what, had been, what has been done here. However, recently this is, has, been, has been limited by our ability to compound at the bedside. And actually making a bag of 4,500 milligrams of Keppra, you would have to utilize nine different vials of levetiracetam and put it in a bag, which technically breaks our compounding regulations for USP 797. This really limits our ability to compound it at the bedside, so many institutions have had to switch to having it sent up from our central IV room, which delays administration. With that, I want to return to our case of PH. Um, again, she was given one dose of lorazepam, four milligrams IV, and is still seizing after a repeat dose. So given what we talked about with ESET, if PH weighs 82 kilograms, what anti-epileptic and dose would you choose to treat her with? So I generally agree with the majority here. Um, again, I would probably give her Keppra at a dose of 4,500 milligrams. She is 82 kilograms, so she would exceed the dose cap that was established with ESET. However, I do want to note that potentially any of these options could also be correct. Um, Phosphenitoin based on ESET dosing could be capped at 1,500 milligrams. Um, I think our standard of care would more align with an uncapped dose of phosphenitoin at 20 milligrams per kilogram, um, answer B. And although there is some, I did not include it in this presentation, there is some thought that we can continue to push the dose of Keppra up to maybe a maximum of six grams, um, although this has not necessarily made its way into clinical practice quite yet. So again, as we can see here, there are many potential options, and I think ESET with its changes in dosing um, potentially complicated the picture for how we should really be giving these anti-epileptics. And in 2020, um, very recently in the last few weeks, a meta-analysis was published to help provide some context for ESET. It was a systematic review and meta-analysis comparing specifically Keppra and Phosphenitoin. It included nine randomized controlled trials with over 1,700 patients assessed. I want to note that the dosing of Keppra in these studies was 20 to 40 milligrams per kilogram per previous recommendations, except for ESET, which was included in this analysis. The dosing of phosphenitoin in most trials was 20 phosphenitoin equivalents per kilogram, um, uncapped um, except for ESET. The primary outcome timeframes differed significantly between trials. Many studies assessed seizure cessation at 5 to 30 minutes after drug administration. We know that ESET had a longer time frame of 60 minutes. And evaluating the overall results, 74% um, of patients receiving Keppra had cessation of seizures, and 71% had cessation of seizures in the phosphenitoin group. We see much higher rates of success than what we saw with ESET, and this is likely due to the fact that the, the primary outcome time frame was shorter, and these patients likely received the medications quicker. We know that with status, um, with each 
progressive anti-epileptic drug that is given, um, our chance of success decreases. And the same concept occurs to time. So the longer we wait, the more refractory sta their status becomes and the harder it be becomes to treat. Like ESET though, the study found minimal efficacy differences in anti-epileptic drugs for urgent control therapy. So we really do need to consider alternative factors when choosing an agent. In thinking about ESET and the way we are able to incorporate it into practice, um, unfortunately we do not yet have a new and updated guideline for status. Ask Mayo Expert has actually incorporated ESET dosing strategies into their treatment algorithm and recommendations for status. So we've already seen some of these changes at an institutional level. Keppra continues to be favored in practice due to its side effect profile and ease of administration when we compare it to some of our other agents. Our most significant change has been related to the Keppra dosing, which itself has come with some barriers to implementation. ESET was published in 2019, and overall trial enrollment occurred well before then. Um, but recently, newer anti-epileptic drugs have been approved and studied for status. And a promising new drug for treatment of status epilepticus is lacosamide. Lacosamide can be dosed at 200 to 400 milligrams IV and administered IV piggyback over 15 minutes. The safety of administration of lacosamide when given as an IV push has also been established. Adverse effects related to lacosamide use include hypotension, bradycardia, and prolonged PR interval, and are things that we would want to assess when administering the dose. Some significant considerations, it is technically a Schedule V controlled substance. So in thinking about procurement and, secu and securing um, the medication, this may provide a little bit of a barrier to getting the medication at bedside. Theoretically, it potentially has increased efficacy for patients who are already seizing. It works on the slow inactivation um, channels and, and our sodium, our voltage gated, gated sodium channels. So really the way it works is by helping attenuate that hyperexcitability that's already occurring in status epilepticus. Therefore, there is some thought that it may provide increased efficacy over our other agents. We saw in 2018 a randomized controlled trial that was published evaluating the non-inferiority of lacosamide and phosphonitoin for non-convulsive seizures. I want to note that the seizures that were evaluated in ESET were all generalized convulsive seizures, so this is a different patient population. Um, 74 different patients were assessed and given either 400 milligrams of IV lacosamide or our standard dose of phosphonitoin. The primary endpoint was absence of electrographic seizures for 24 hours. In evaluating the re results, we saw a 63% success rate with lacosamide compared to a 50% success rate with phosphonitoin, a statistically significant result. From this, um, we can conclude that lacosamide is non-inferior to phosphonitoin for control of non-convulsive seizures. And this really laid the groundwork for utilization of lacosamide and exploration um, in other potential areas of seizure control. Recently, a meta-analysis was published that actually examined success rates with use of lacosamide in status epilepticus. Unfortunately, the meta-analysis did not have a direct efficacy comparison, but instead extract extracted efficacy and safety outcomes for patients who had received lacosamide for status epilepticus. 20 case series or retrospective studies were included that included 522 patients. Overall, 50% 50, 50 of patients actually had non-convulsive status, and 32% had focal motor status, so a little bit of a different patient population than what we saw with ESET. Doses ranged from 200 to 400 milligrams IV, which is the standard of care. Overall, an efficacy rate of 57% was observed, 
The lower rate than expected was likely due to the fact that most of the patients who received lecosamide in these trials actually received it for refractory status. Additionally, we see here that the efficacy rate is higher than the agents we saw in ESET. Comparable efficacy between use in non-convulsive and convulsive seizures was found. And we see here that there was a significant success rate for use of lecosamide in focal motor status at 92%. So I think in evaluating this information, uh, lecosamide is definitely a promising option for treatment of status epilepticus, and in my opinion, specifically in patients who may have non-convulsive status. It's been eight years since the most recent neurocritical care guideline update for status epilepticus, and since then we've seen a lot of new evidence regarding status, treatment, and new agents that have been introduced. So if I were to formulate an update to the guideline today, I think this is really what it would look like. For urgent control therapy and status epilepticus, our options would include Keppra at a dose of 60 milligrams per kilogram with a maximum dose of 4,500 milligrams. Bilprovite 40 milligrams per kilogram uncapped, phosphenitoin 20, 20 phenytoin equivalents per kilogram uncapped, or lecosamide 400 milligrams overall. There's insufficient evidence, efficacy evidence to provide recommendations for use of one agent over another. I think at this point, we really still have the question that remains over which agent may be, may be superior in efficacy. Therefore, anti-epileptic choice really should be determined using patient-specific and clinical factors. And so when we think about this, although there's technically no evidence to support use of one or the other, in practicality, I do have some opinions about what I would use first based on ease of administration. I think right now, um, Keppra would be my first line. I know it's readily available um, up in the emergency department. And despite the current barriers with administration, unfortunately, they are being worked out and we're hoping to have um, a solution in the coming weeks. My second agent of choice would be Valproate. Um, it is readily available, and we can give it relatively quickly um, when compared to some of our other agents. I think lecosamide is a great third option. In patients who may be having non-convulsive or focal motor status, I think I would move it upwards, potentially consider giving it um, sooner in this algorithm. It is a controlled substance, so here it may, it may be a little bit harder to procure, but it can be given quickly as an IV push, which could help mitigate some of that delay in treatment. And finally, I would utilize phosphenitoin. Um, I think when we think about it, it takes a longer time to administer and has significantly more side effects. So our other options may be more appropriate to utilize upfront. And with that, I wanna to return to talk about pH one more time. So the team decides to administer Keppra at a dose of 4,500 milligrams. How would you quickly administer the ordered dose? And I agree with the majority of the group here again. Um, I would infuse 4,500 milligrams as an IV piggyback over 15 minutes. 45 minutes is uh, too long to administer that dose um, based on our available administration rates. As far as administering it undiluted IV, as I mentioned, there is some evidence for low doses give, being given undiluted, but a large dose of 4,500 milligrams, we really don't know the safety of that. It is an option to administer 4,500 milligrams diluted one-to-one -one IV push over five minutes. From a practical standpoint, that is a lot of volume um, to draw up, so I would just prefer to throw it in a bag. Um, again, there are many potential options here, which I think emphasize the fact that we need a lot more research into the safety of various potential administration techniques for Keppra. We really don't know what the safety of undiluted Keppra is in larger doses. We really don't know how quickly we can give the medication. 
And I think in really studying this and assessing this, we may be able to come up with some creative ways to administer these much larger doses. Additionally, I think there needs to be an examination of appropriate antiepileptic dosing in obese patients, especially given the potential implementation of dose capping because of the ESET results. Overall, I think the exploration of newer antiepileptic agents is needed and important, especially in agents that we know may have the potential for rapid delivery. So in summary, there are no significant differences in efficacy between guideline recommended urgent control therapies in status. An antiepileptic choice should be determined using patient-specific factors and safety considerations. We can sit here and talk about dosing as much as we want. You said I think really complicated that picture, but from my perspective, this is a neurological emergency. So when we think about the drug that's going to work best, it's the drug that's going to get there the fastest, and we're going to be able to load the patient up with the quickest. So I think rapid administration of antiepileptic therapies remains fairly elusive and is definitely an area um, for further research. And the exploration of our newer antiepileptic drugs provides some potential promise in helping overcome this significant barrier to status treatment. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.